Great to see you all this morning. Thank you so much for being here, and thank you, Mark, for your kind words. And um, it's really great to um, to be able to uh, be here. You know, when you fool around with these masks the way we have to now, it just kind of takes you a minute to get set, doesn't it? I don't um, I don't know whether to shake hands with anybody anymore. I don't uh, I'm, I don't know whether to fist bump or elbow bump or sometimes people go like this and then they. And, you know, it's kind of back and forth and just kind of wonder, golly, you know, I don't want to hug you because, you know, we all got germs and uh, we just want to be careful. And I appreciate everybody being willing to wear these masks and not make an issue out of that. Um, you know, sometimes we things like that really, um, really bother us. Um, and I don't know, I, I think, can I just say something about that before I get into the teaching? I don't like those masks. I really, I, I have a hard time with them, okay? Uh, but um, we're just trying to be careful. That's all. That's all we're trying to do. Just trying to be careful. And people got all these different opinions about about the mask and whether we ought to wear them and whether they're necessary and whether they even help and all that stuff. I get that. I get that. I want to tell you something. When, when love is what you're most concerned about, when you're governed by love you're not thinking about what you want to do or what you like or what you know what's what's comfortable for you love typically the kind that god does all the time it's not very convenient have you noticed that you know the love the love that i've experienced since i've known the lord has comforted me in my deepest soul, but has led me into some of the most uncomfortable situations I've ever been in. And guess why they were uncomfortable? It was because I was supposed to change and not be so stinking selfish. Is that okay to say? And so if you're having a, a struggle with it, I get it totally. I, can, I wear them all day, every day, because we work with inmates that have been released from jail and from prison. And, I mean, it's just part of my job. I've got to have on that mask if I'm around people. And do I like it? No. But I'm doing it because we're just trying to be careful. And it's about love more than anything else. Is that okay? And, and don't we, as believers, lead the way when it comes to love? Okay, that's all I'm going to say about the mask. Okay. I didn't even plan to say that. So Mark had this great idea, and I, I love this idea about about this um, about um, this outrageous community idea. Last week he preached on outrageous um, kindness. I, wasn't that a great sermon? If you missed that, you ought to go back and look at it because man, that, that is that was a powerful word. Thank you. It was so good. What the point that he was making last week was that we live in outrageous times. People are outraged with each other. There's this terrible, contentious spirit uh, in the public discourse. People are fussing and arguing and posting and commenting, and it's just not. It's just it's gotten nastier. Okay, and I didn't think it could. I didn't think it'd get any worse, and it has. <laughs> and so people really in our culture. Uh, divided, aren't they? And people are so offended and outraged with people they disagree with that sometimes you just wonder if we can ever 
find common ground, enough common ground to ever come together, which is ultimately what we need to do. So with that as the backdrop, we know that's how it is in the culture. God supplies outrageous solutions for outrageous needs and problems, right? And the the reason they're outrageous in terms of God's solutions is because they're so radical. They're so countercultural. God supplies uh, needs that are radically different from the way the world operates, but it's exactly what the world needs. And he does it first in us as believers. If the world needs kindness, and we all know uh, being kind to one another would help, wouldn't it? If, if that's true, then what we do as believers, those who love Jesus, we learn to be kind to each other first. We practice on each other so that the world can see that, hey, there's some kindness still out there, right? And so our kindness becomes an advertisement for Jesus. And uh, this, this uh, idea of the community, the church, being an outrageous community is so true. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Because, see, ultimately, what the church is about is about so representing Jesus that people want to know him. They are drawn to him because of us. Isn't that right? And so, when you think of church, what do you think about? Well, I I have all these memories uh, in my head about what church is and was. I've been in church my whole life. I really have. Well, there was a period of time when I dropped out and ran away from the Lord and didn't go. But most of my life I've been in church. So that would be 67 years. Well, 67 years and nine months because, you know, Mama took me. And so we were there, you know, every time the door opened. And uh, I have a whole lot of my first memories of church were informed by growing up there. And how it looked and what we did and how we sang and you know what I mean? All that stuff. And some of it was great and some of it was terrible. I kiddingly tell people, I learned to pray in church asking God, when will this ever be over? (laughs) I don't know what it was. It made me so hungry. I don't know what it was. Even now, about noon on Sunday, I can smell fried chicken, whether anybody's cooking it or not. It's just part of my psyche. Uh, the message I got in church wasn't so great either. I know they told me Jesus died for me, but it was kind of like, God is good, you're bad, stop it. That's kind of how it was. And uh, our pastor was so boring, uh, and, and he's dead and gone now. He's in heaven, I think, but he he was so boring. I, I mean, I mean, you couldn't, you had to take courses to in boredom. To be that boy. You could not have naturally been that boy. So that's what I remember. Church was a place. Church was a building. Church was that stuff. But see, what I have come to understand and still try to learn, I'm still trying to learn this, that that though, though those things are connected to church, connected to the outrageous community, it's really more about you and me. It's about us. It's about the relationships. It's about the people. It's about how we act when we're not at the building. You know what I mean? People do it with buildings. They do it without buildings. They do it outside. They do it inside. They do it in other cultures. 
They do it with different kinds of music. They have a different order of worship. They emphasize different things. But there's only one church. There's only one church. That's the one Jesus is building. (laughs) No matter where your name is on the membership row, you want to be part of the church Jesus is building because that's the one that counts, right? He said hell couldn't stop that church. I've seen hell stop what they call church. Have you? But what Jesus builds, hell can't stop. And he's building an outrageous community of people. And it's all about that. Let me just say this. No matter what the building is, how many people there are, or what kind of program they're using to get it done, underneath, if it's being used by God, and if it's something Jesus is building, underneath all the programs and the buildings and everything else, what's going on? Let me tell you what's happening. Organic spiritual relationships are being built in the Spirit. And if that's happening... It really doesn't matter that much what kind of program you use as long as it's biblical and you know what I mean. Because underneath what's happening, God's building something. He's connecting us together. You know, Charlie Daniels died this past week. He's in glory. I love Charlie Daniels. I heard him one time in concert in Columbus, Georgia, playing with the Allman Brothers. You're talking about it. Whew, good concert. It was so good. But Charlie Daniels, no doubt about it, was a believer and he loved the Lord. And when he died the other day, I pulled up his music on YouTube. I didn't know this, but he had a whole gospel bluegrass album. You ought to check it out sometime. And on that, I listened to the whole thing. And you know what one of the songs was? An old bluegrass tune called, I'm Working on a Building. Do you know that song? And it says, I'm working on a building. It's a Holy Ghost building. (laughs) For my Lord, for my Lord. What was that about? It was about the church. It's about the outrageous community. Colossians three twelve through 17 talks about it. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. So God, that's talking about the people, right? Not just the person, but the people. And God picked you, picked us. Wow, why? Because he's good, that's why. Have you noticed God chooses people that you wouldn't choose? <laughs> Look around. No, don't. I mean, we're supposed to be world changers? Come on. Really? Well, see, it's because God specializes on ta- in taking nothing and making something, right? Strength and weakness, all that stuff. He picks people nobody else would pick. He chose us. He chose us. Before we chose him, he chose us. I don't even understand that. I know what it means not to be chosen. (laughs) How about you? Man, we used to pick each other in in kickball on the playground. Some of you could tell your kids what kickball is. But anyway, they, they picked, and there would be a captain and a captain, and they pick you and you and you and you and take turns picking. And, man, that made me so nervous. Because we, it was co-ed. And there was this one girl named Barbara McGuff. Man, she was a good kickball kicker. The worst thing in the world I could imagine was being chosen after her. You know what I mean? They picked Barbara and not me. Man, my hands sweat right now thinking about it. And there were some times when Timmy McGee would lose his mind and he would pick her before he picked me. I had to forgive Timmy for that. I know what it is to be passed over, not chosen, not promoted. How about you? It's not a fun thing not to be chosen. It's a wonderful thing to be chosen, isn't it? To be chosen. He chose us. 
We spent the whole time talking about that, but we better move on. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, holy means different. You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So that's godly character, right? Doesn't that stuff remind you of Jesus? Tenderhearted, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then in verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So it's a community of outrageous forgiveness. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. So it's about love, too, isn't it? A community of love. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. So it's a community of peace, isn't it? Godly peace. And then he sums it up with those last two verses in this little part, 16 and 17. Listen to what it says. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. That's the worship part. And then he sums it up in verse 17. Keep this in mind throughout. Whatever you do or say. Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So he's talking about us, not just individuals. It includes that, right? It's a teaching about your personal relationship to Jesus. But it's also a teaching about how we are part of a community, which is basically I'm in communion with the Lord, right? I've got a relationship with Him, and because I'm in communion with Him, He then connects me with the other people that commune with Him. Make sense? So community is about that communion, that fellowship, that connection. It's spiritual. It's based on grace. Uh, we have, we belong, we have, we are now governed by a new kingdom. That kingdom, we've been born into it by the Spirit, and the Spirit then guides our lives, and He connects us to one another. But the whole idea is that we together would live in such a way that we would represent Jesus in everything we say and do. How are you doing with that? Well, if you're like me, you sometimes get that right. And then there's the other times when we're not a very good advertisement. Now, let me just say this. There are a lot of people who have a lot of bad, negative things to say about the church, and you know what's wrong with it too, don't you? You can always find fault with the church. I've always found it interesting when people look at other churches and find fault with it, especially if that part of the church is more successful than their part, <laughs> as measured by how many people show up and that kind of stuff. My stuff matters, doesn't it? But, hey, isn't it true that that we're in a different kind of business because we're connected in a community that means when there's a victory anywhere, it's our victory. Anybody gets saved, wherever they get saved, we praise the Lord, and we're not, we're not thinking, gosh, I wish that had happened with us. It did happen with us. It may not have happened in the same room, but it's still our victory, isn't it? We're not competing with other parts of the body of Christ, are we? I mean, it's not like we're selling hamburgers or something and there's McDonald's versus Burger King. And you can have it your way if you come over here. Think about that. Really, we're not competing. But we, but we do. And we're jealous. We're afraid we're not going to get our market share. <laughs> That's crazy. That's not right, is it? That's not biblical thinking. 
Not when we're all connected with each other. And our lives together show who Jesus is. We advertise him. We do. I can't show all of who Jesus is. I can show a part of who he is. But I need you for the bigger picture. We need each other for that. So that we together, as we grow in spiritual relationship, around the lordship of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, we then, in ever-increasing ways, are changed and become more like him. And therefore, what we do represents him. I want to represent Jesus better. How about you? Like I say, I don't always get that right. In fact, I miss it. And people who know me, you know, could tell you that, but don't don't call them because they'll tell you. (laughs) I'm telling you. I want to unpack what this means using some other scriptures. And the first point is that we are an outrageous community of godly character. Those first verses of verse 12 there, clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Okay, that's just not me, okay? <laughs> I mean, how are you doing with the tenderhearted mercy part? And kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. I don't think I have a patient bone in my body. I preached on the spirit of patience recently, and I'm not going to do that again for a while. Everything that happened to me that week made me impatient. I even got impatient writing the sermon. I had more red lights. I had more trouble. People just got on my last nerve all week long. I said, I will not preach on this again for a while. And it's been a long time since I asked God to teach me patience. Don't do that. My advice is don't. Because he will answer that prayer. How about mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness? Do you ever feel like you're a little uh, court low on the compassion, kindness thing? Somebody asks you for it, you know they need it, but when, when they ask you, you've already given it to somebody else or something else. It's like if you wrote the kindness check, it would bounce because <laughs> you're overdrawn. <laughs> Don't have any emotional, spiritual energy. See, that's, that's the, the, the truth of it is, if we get that right, the godly character right, we will know what that's about. What is that about? That's about the Holy Spirit. That's about Jesus doing something through me that I can't do. That I can't be kind and tenderhearted and merciful and patient unless he does that through me. And I've got to be willing to let him do it and and die enough to my old selfishness that doesn't want to, right, that constantly reacts instead of responding by the Spirit. And in uh, 2 Corinthians three, seventeen through 18, it describes the transformation. Can I read that to you? It says, uh, whenever somebody, someone turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. That's a spiritual blindness veil, you know, so you can open your eyes and really see. The Lord is the Spirit. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. What is the freedom it's talking about? It's the freedom to do what God's called us to do. It's the freedom to be who God called us to be. He says, so all of us, remember there's an us there, right? Us. All of us who have had that veil removed can see, got the mask off. No, I'm sorry, it says veil. The veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. When you read glory, think presence. Presence. 
Think the presence of the Lord. We can see and reflect His presence, His glory. And the Lord, listen to this, who is the Spirit, makes us, there it is again, us, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. That's about change. And that's about us changing, isn't it? To be what? More and more like Jesus. And how does that happen? It's if the Holy Spirit works in my life. And in my relationships to help me grow, to help me be more and more like Jesus. Are we more like Jesus than we used to be? Let me just say this to you. I'm not saying that to make you feel worse than you already do or to be, you know, a tour guide for your next guilt trip. This is not about shame. This is not about pounding you with the ought to's. This is about saying, gosh, the Holy Spirit can change me. He can really make me into somebody better, more like Jesus in an ongoing way. And he will do that. He specializes in doing that in the relationships. We need solitary time. We need personal and private time. But he changes us so dramatically as we relate to each other. Have you noticed that that's where the challenge comes? And that's where the character kicks in when the Spirit is controlling us. When Paul described this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 through 15, he was talking about growing up spiritually. And he says, then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Listen to this, verse 15. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love Growing in every way more and more like Christ. That's what Paul said to the Corinthian church. Growing by the Spirit's power to be more and more like Jesus. Isn't that what he just said? And then he talks about more and more like Jesus here. And he says, growing in every way more and more like Jesus, who's the head of his body, the church. So he's talking about the church, isn't he? He's talking about how we grow so that we're not so unstable and influenced by every little thing that comes along. And what does he say the key to it is? Speaking the truth in love. So if I am in the body of Christ, in the community of faith, this outrageous community, I'm in a place where I can both hear and speak the truth in love. It's not just the truth. I know people that speak the truth but not in love. They're the angriest Christians I ever saw. Some of them are on Facebook. I don't know if you've noticed how angry and mean Christians can be. And so they may be speaking the truth, but they're not speaking it in love. And what does that do? What do you think it does? Exactly what you think. It makes people mad. It turns them off. The last thing in the world that it does is influence them to come to Jesus. It just doesn't work. Of course, you can just have love and no truth, and that doesn't work either. Why? Because if in the name of love you don't speak the truth, nobody changes. (laughs) Only the truth can set you free. So it's both and, speaking the truth in love. That's how we grow up. People have a hard time with the truth sometimes. I get it. That's why he says speak it in love so that you can embrace it and realize that the person who's speaking the truth to you loves you and is telling you this to help you because that truth will heal you, right? We need more, not less of the truth. We need more, not less of the love that goes with it. 
You don't want to indulge people. You don't want to appease people in the name of love. You don't want to create codependence. You don't want to indulge their entitlement. What do you want? You want them to change. You want to help them get free of their addiction and free of their hurts. That only comes when you speak the truth in love. I need to grow up. How about you? I need to move on spiritually. I need God's help to do it. I need the Holy Spirit, and I need the community that speaks the truth in love to me. That's outrageous in the eyes of the world. That's exactly what the world needs. Here's the second one. It's an outrageous community of godly forgiveness, of godly forgiveness. If you go back to our original passage, you'll see that what he says as he describes God's people He says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now, this is a theme throughout Scripture. You've received it, now give it to somebody else. I know I've received it, and I need it. It's giving it to somebody else that trips me up. How about you? Did they offend you? Well, yes. They did offend you. How recently did they offend you? Well, they might have offended you this morning if you watch the news. They might have offended you yesterday. Who was it? A politician, a public figure, your school teacher in the third grade. And you hadn't forgiven her yet because she was such a witch and had a broom in her back seat every day. And every time you think about her and the way she treated you, you think, oh. Some of my folks have heard this story, but it's hard to beat. In my first little church was in a place that redefined rural. You can't even get there from here. They thought they were the center of the universe, though. At the end of the service one day, we had these candles lit on a table down front. And at the end, a little girl would come in and snuff you know she'd take the light of the the, uh, flame off the candles and snuff them out and walk out and we'd go out and i would stand at the back and shake hands with everybody and they like good sermon good sermon good sermon good sermon they all scattered like a covey of quail had to eat you know blood sugar was going down every minute anyway one sunday this this i spoke to the woman there was a little old lady she was in the back she was the one that sent the little girl forward. But when I nodded to her to send the little girl forward, she wasn't paying attention. She was not paying attention. Where was she that Sunday? I don't know. She was just looking around. I nodded again. Man, you know, when it's time to go, it's time to go. You know, people get antsy when church is needing to be over. So they were. I was nodding and Finally, I spoke to the little girl, and she came down. And out we went. And it was just like every Sunday. Went out, everybody went out. Good sermon, good sermon, good sermon, good sermon. Everybody scattered. I turned to go back inside my office, and that little old lady jumped out from behind a door. She was laying for me. She put a bony finger in my face, and she said, I can't believe you treated me that way. And then, I'm telling you, I'm not kidding. She started cursing right there in God's house, the Father's house. <laughs> I was backing up, man. She was, she was using Navy language on me, y'all. I'm not kidding. It's what we used to call down on the farm getting dog cussed. I couldn't believe it. And then she started to walk out. 
I was, I was a young preacher then, green and knew no better. I got her by the arm and said, let's talk. I should have said, get on out of here, yo bitty. <laughs> but I didn't do that either. But I was thinking it really loud. We sat down and she started telling me her story. And her story was that her husband had been a doctor and he ran around on her and ruined her life and then left her for another woman. And then finally somebody killed him in yet another amorous situation. It sounded like he needed it. But anyway, she, and, and, uh, so she was telling me this whole story. And I was thinking, what the heck does this have to do with me? And the fact is, it had nothing to do with me. And I said, when did this happen to you? And she said, well, he'd been dead 15 years. I went, what? She talked about it like it happened last week. And the reason she felt that way is because she relived it over and over and over again. And somehow I offended her when I nodded the wrong way. And that's why she cussed out her young preacher right in the church house. Now, I know that's a pretty extreme example, but that happens all the time. It happens every day. It happens online, on Facebook, on Instagram. It happens in the public debate. It happens everywhere. People are cursing each other verbally and tearing each other apart because they haven't learned to forgive the people who hurt them. Are you listening? And in this community, what do we do? We forgive everybody. Peter said, all of you should be of one mind and sympathize with each other and love each other's brothers and sisters and be tenderhearted. Keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That's what God's called you to do, and he'll grant you his blessing in it. Ephesians chapter 4, I won't read you those verses, but you know what that one says? It says, now look, you don't need to, you don't need to let anger control you. That's what it says. And it says, so don't, it says, be angry. And in the old translation, sin not. And don't let the sun go down on your wrath. I don't know how you read that, but the way I read it is you got till sundown. That's what I like about daylight savings time. You, you can be mad, the Bible, you can be mad at 9 o'clock some days. The Bible says so, it's right there. But then, then you... You better better deal with it, because if you don't, what will happen? It will turn to bitterness and poison you. It will ruin you. See, in this community, we practice forgiving those people out there by forgiving each other. How bad do you need forgiveness? I don't know. I know how bad I needed it. <laughs> and the reminder over and over and over is what? I forgave you. I forgave you. I said, not guilty to you. I canceled the debt. I pardoned you. Pardon's a beautiful thing. Pardon is you were guilty, but now you're not because I pardoned you. <laughs> Isn't that great? Have you pardoned everybody? They don't owe you a thing anymore. Why? Because you canceled the debt. Yeah, they owe me an apology. I'll forgive them as soon as they come and say they're sorry. You've got a long wait. Because some of them don't give a rip, and you're going to have to learn to deal with that. Some of them can't even remember what they did to you. You can. They can't even remember. You know, because they could care less. It's not about them. It never has been. It's about you. It's about us. We can learn this with each other. So we can practice it out there. Here's the third and quickly, an outrageous community of godly love. All this is about love, isn't it? All of it's about love. But he, he says, you know, Paul, Paul wants to emphasize it. He says, above all. 
above everything else I've said, be clothed in love because that will help you harmonize. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds it all together in perfect harmony. Hey, do you like harmony? Me too, man. I love harmony. I mean, literal harmony in a song, harmony. And there's nothing worse, is it, when like a quartet gets up there and three of them are harmonizing. (laughs) And then there's that one guy, and he's off. Kind of messes it up, doesn't it? It can ruin the whole experience. I had a guy like that in the in a in a choir one time. In in a, when I finally got out of seminary, it took me a while. They sent me to Pensacola, and I was over there, and it was the most depressing thing you ever saw. Uh, they had a, had a building to seat about three hundred people. They had about forty people left. Everybody who could do anything had left. The odd thing was, it's a great location. They just had problems, you know. They just had a a lot of problems for a long time, and they said, "We're going to close this church in six months if something doesn't happen. And if it closes, nobody will blame you." And I was thinking, "Well, thank you. Appreciate that." <laughs> we didn't do anything really special; just tried to love on people and talk about Jesus a lot. But but the choir was one of the worst parts. They had a choir, and they had like six or eight people in the choir, so it was a pitiful little choir, pitiful. They couldn't sing with a hoot. And, and the, the, the organist, we had an organist, and the organist was blind. No, seriously. How, how does that work? Well, it doesn't. Very well. And she had a CNI dog that had fleas. So while they were trying to sing, everybody in the choir was going, <clears throat> jerking around. It was depressing, man. Whew. But the worst part of the choir wasn't the dog and the fleas. It was this one guy. And no matter how hard they tried to keep him harmonizing, he couldn't do it. And it wasn't like he was singing, you know, like quietly. He was loud, man. As things started to turn and grow, he was just joyfully up there making a joyful noise that you could hardly stand. And, of course, I was the one that had to fix it. How would you fix that? We sent him to children's church. That's how we fixed it. (laughs) And he got excited about that, which was a huge relief. Because at that point, we couldn't afford to lose anybody else, even people who sang off key. I'm telling you that story because people's lives are off key. And the only way to fix that is for us to love each other and make allowance for each other's faults. Okay, you sing off key. I love you. And, And to love each other enough that what you hear is harmony in spite of the faults and failings. Are you following that? That what you hear is beautiful because you love. I can't be that way on my own. Only the Holy Spirit can do that with me. But we can learn. Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. You need to love each other the way I love you in John 13. And then he said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you would. Know a lot of scripture? Attend a certain amount of times? No. If you love each other, that will show them. That will prove to the world that you're my disciples. What will prove it? If anything will, it'll be love. I have to ask the Lord to love people through me. He answers that prayer all the time. When I say, I can't, Lord, but you do it through me. 
And that is, the, that, is, that is such a foundational aspect of who we are. Let me ask you a question. And this is for Graceport people, Freedom people, and all Christians. If we, if we, when we interact with each other, show love to each other, okay, do you think that that will be a secret? Let me just say this. It won't be because God himself will use it to advertise. You think God is advertising? He is. He's dealing with everybody you know. The Holy Spirit is out there dealing with people. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. And this is what he longs to say to the person who needs to be saved. This is what he says. Can I tell you? This is not all he says, but this is part of what he says. He says, look at those people over there. Look, look, look at those people. Look how they love each other. Don't you want some of that? Because people are dying for love. They're lonely for love. Aren't they? Sometimes people who are the most popular, the most powerful, have the most prestige and the most money are the loneliest, emptiest people in the world. And they're dying for love and they can't find it. And they look for it everywhere. Wouldn't it be something if the Holy Spirit could say to that person, that man, that woman, that teenager that's thinking about suicide, oh my gosh, that hopeless. There's some people who will love you. Look at them. Look at how they love each other. Wow. I want to be part of that, don't you? I want some of that. In Ephesians 3.19, I, just, I won't read it to you, but let me just say that. In Ephesians 3, it's that, that thing where he says, I pray that God will show you how big the love is, the dimensions of it, how tall and how deep and how wide, all that. Remember that? And then he says, and when you get filled with that love, you'll be filled with the fullness of God. It's a community of love. Okay, so I'm about ready to go too, but if you hang with me another minute, an outrageous community of godly peace. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you're going to have trials and sorrow. But I'm giving you my peace. Be of good cheer. Be encouraged. I've overcome the world. Do you know why you're going to have sorrow and trials in this world? Because you're not in heaven. You're in this world. <laughs> and as long as we're not in heaven, there's going to be trials and trouble and challenge. Sometimes it's going to get worse. I was going through a real hard time one, one time, and I've been through a lot of hard things. And a friend of mine said, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets worse. I said, gee, thanks. <laughs> That's just what I was hoping you'd say. You can't expect this to be heaven. It won't be. It's abundant life. By the Spirit, we get some heaven on the way to heaven. We don't get the whole thing that we get to heaven, right? But we can have peace. We can have God's peace. Something the world can't give it, neither can it steal it. And Paul wrote to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 4, and he said, y'all don't need to worry about anything. I said, really? No, not a thing. Instead, pray about everything. Make your requests known to God. And he said, his peace will reign and rule in your heart. See, if you've got a community of people that come alongside you and say, you know what, I know it's hard right now, but we're with you. And you don't have to submit to the fear and the worry and the anxiety and the panic that is crowding in on you. You can have God's peace. And we're going to stand with you in faith and pray with you 
so that that peace will guard your heart. What's that worth? How do people get by without it? I don't know. But that's what this thing is about. Last night, I was praying about today, and I don't know if I can find it yet. One of the things that I decided, and some of you that know me know this, but I have this little Facebook page where we reach out every day, you know, and it's kind of in a cowboy package. And uh, God is using it to reach people. But linked to that page is a website where I post a poem and a little devotional. And uh, I started doing that a few years ago. And at the end of 2019, I felt like the Lord was speaking to me about that poetry to be more faithful with it. And so I said, Lord, if you'll help me, I'll write a poem every day. Well, we're halfway through 2020, and I'm on schedule every day so far. Isn't that amazing? That's not me, let me just tell you. So I'm bragging on Jesus when I tell you this, but last night, this is what he gave me, and I'm going to finish with this, okay? This is entitled Words. I sometimes get frustrated when folks just won't behave. Seems like they just don't care at all with words. They rant and rave. I guess they have their reasons and mostly think they're right, but I can't stand the rudeness. They have a poison bite. So what to do about it? Is there really anything to calm down that old argument and some solution bring? I thought a lot about it. I prayed about it too. I keep coming back to one thing that we might all can do. And let's just ask the Father. If what we're about to say is really what He's wanting fits in His plan that day. Not just is it truthful, because that's not enough. But also, if it's loving, though truth in love is tough. But also, is the timing, is what the Spirit leads, and not just my reaction to someone's evil seeds. Notice there's not one thing about what others say, because we cannot control them. It's if we are okay. I've heard that our reaction to the speck caught in their eye becomes the log stuck in our own. So we just have to try to stop all our reactions. Let God take full control and pray before we say it. Ask Him to make us whole. Let's ask Him now, shall we? Lord, we come to You admitting that we are really not the advertisement that we ought to be, but we want to change. We really do. And so, Lord, we ask your help. We pray that in these silent moments we'll open our hearts to you and just ask you to speak to us in unmistakable ways about who we are to be as individuals and as a community. If you're here today or listening on Facebook, we encourage you to open your heart to Jesus. If you never have before, you're not sure, this would be a great moment to just say, Lord, come into my life and forgive me and take control. 
And if you do that, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be able to help you with that. As believers, if you're here and you've heard the Lord speaking to you and you have a special need you want us to pray with you about, or you've made a commitment, we want to encourage you to surrender afresh and anew and ask the Spirit to help you. And we'll be glad to help you as well. Oh, Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. So we ask that you would do those things that only you can do and be, help us to be bound to your highest and best to one another and loosed from every evil. We pray in faith as your children in agreement with each other, best of all, in Jesus' name.